Welcome to Locked On NFL, number one daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network. Today's episode of Locked On NFL is brought to you by Built Bar with promo code Locked On. You get $10 off your first box of Built Bars and this week only five extra dollars off for Memorial Week. Promo code Locked On at BuiltBar.com. It is another Twitter Thursday. Looking at the tweets right now, there is a lot of good ones. Thanks, everybody, for getting involved. Apologies in advance. If we do not get to your question, you can always find me on Twitter at BD Peacock. Matt is at Williamson NFL. You can get those questions in anytime. You don't have to just respond. When we ask for those Twitter Thursday questions, do appreciate all you listeners and everybody who does get involved. Um, Matt, I, I want to start with one here, and it sounds like you did not realize that you were mentioned in this Book. This one is from Jay. He says, I just read Frank DuPont's game plan and was surprised to see you in the acknowledgments. Do you think the NFL has improved since 2012 in its ability to tap into larger talent pools? Well, <laughs> this one took me a little by surprise because Frank DuPont wrote this and I am currently Google searching Frank DuPont. I don't remember having interaction with this gentleman and maybe I'm just forgetting that's certainly capable. I uh, partied pretty hard in college, um, but um, honored to have been acknowledged in it in whatever way. Maybe Frank could have sent me a book. That would have been nice. I, I'm unfamiliar with this copy, <laughs> but interesting enough. Oh, that's all interesting and well and good, but tapping into larger markets. I'm curious what you think about this too. I mean, it feels like it's kind of in the infantile stage, but like, you know, if you think of the 70s, like how many Polynesian guys were in the league? You know, like it, it, that doesn't get talked about as a new frontier, but, you know, things like that. I think the world's expanding in terms of football. And maybe when my kids are doing or my age, there'll be more European and people from overseas come into the league. Um, we've had some Canadian, not a lot, but. I mean, way less than any other sport in terms of non-USA people. You got to think that that's going to rise, right? I would think so. And the the expansion of actual football everywhere else is so important because we've seen a lot of really raw, physically talented people come from you know Germany or or other places that don't play a lot of football growing up, and they show up mm -hmm. in the states and they're late to the game. And football's so specialized, it's really hard for these amazing athletes as amazing as they are to to catch up and be ready to play at the level they need to to be an NFL uh you know starting caliber high caliber NFL player so there there's multiple levels of it finding these talented human beings is probably the easiest part getting them to play football from an early age and be somewhat specialized and able to come in and play at a college level when they're that age is another question altogether. So just the expansion of the NFL, because the NFL is pretty far behind with some other, it's huge. It's number one in America. It's far behind in other countries as far as sports go. So mm -hmm. getting more kids to play football, to watch football, to understand the sport when they're younger would just help that influx of talent to the NFL. I mean, I'm comparing it to other sports in my head. If you just got a raw, super athletic male or female and they didn't know the game at all, and you put them in there and started coaching them up, which ones would be easier or harder? I would think hockey would be super hard. I mean, if you have no skating background, forget about it. Right. I mean, it's like teaching somebody to walk. But mm -hmm. if, if you could skate, maybe that's, that one wouldn't be so crazy, but that's a big if. 
but football, uh, forgive my ignorance on the other sports, because I really don't know, but I would think a, a boxer or, you know, some of these other sports, you could just take a big athlete and coach them up. And you would think that's true in football. But my point with this is what people don't realize, and I wish we talked about this a little more over the Locked On NFL lifespan, is going from college to pro is way more about technique hand usage, little uh, technique in general. I mean, depending on what position you play, then it is being bigger, faster, stronger than the guy across from you because you simply aren't going to get those advantages. So technique is what really, you know, these, these position coaches spend a lot of time with, you know, a release off the line if you're a wide receiver, subtle little things that most people wouldn't catch. And a big raw guy that doesn't have much experience would struggle, you know, would not be technically sound. It's amazing the the small technical aspects that players already know. And you see some guys uh, like, uh, for example, in this year's draft, Jerry Judy. I mean, he goes to SEC school. He goes to Alabama. And as a teenager, he's running routes, doing things technically that some players never get to that are even in the NFL already and good. So imagine just dropping a raw athlete in who's, body has trained maybe for a different sport. Um, there was a guy named Okoye that played for the 49ers that in recent memory that I remember who was a, a just a monstrous guy, uh, Lawrence Okoye, and he was a shot putter and, and a track athlete, you know, discus thrower and stuff like that. And he, he just, his body's trained differently. And so he tried and tried and tried, and there was so much potential there, but he could never really get his footing in the NFL as big and strong as he was. He has to change his body, be more flexible, learn all these techniques that he's just so far behind in once you get to the college level. Yeah, and a a good example, which is not football related, but so many people watch The Last Dance. And just think about Jordan when he gave up basketball and went to baseball, Mm -hmm. how much he transformed his body for baseball. You know, you would think, oh, I'm an athlete as an athlete. Well, it isn't. I mean, maybe it was in the 60s and 70s, you know, or Jim Thorpe's time or whatever. Just I'm just going to be athletic. But everything is so specialized now, you know, that he changed his body dramatically, came back to the Bulls and was not the same, you know, flexible, explosive guy that he needed for hoops. That took a lot to get back and a lot of work. It's pretty amazing. And just his body type. And that's the other thing is and the Lance Armstrong um, E60 that I saw last night is another one because, yeah, and he obviously there's all the doping stuff. But even before that, he was just, you know, as a junior swimmer, you have to be built a certain way. And his body was built in a way that his lung capacity was high and he could go and go and go. And he was fast and he was small and he was strong in the right places, but wasn't too big. So, you know, he wasn't carrying extra weight. And with Jordan, you're built so perfectly for basketball. You get out on the baseball field. It's amazing watching Jordan's like this is a perfect body of an athlete. And then you see him on a, in a baseball uniform. He's like, that looks weird, you know, and he's so long. It looks weird. And minor league pitchers long are like, swing. yeah, right. minor league pitchers are like, well, I'm just going to throw him inside. Cause obviously nobody's built like that in this league and he's not going to be able to, to hit that inside fastball. So it's pretty amazing when you consider what an, what a great athlete is and how specialized sports are and how much time it takes. And you almost have to start, you know, preteen if you want to get to that level. So expanding the NFL, I think, would be goal number one. And then obviously you still have to find those people. Yeah, I really wanted to stress the technique thing, though. I mean, when you get to the highest level of football, much of the success is based around your technique. And those guys would be really behind the eight ball. 
Now I'm interested to, to read Frank DuPont's book, Game Plan, A Radical Approach to Decision-Making in yeah. the National Football League. Frank, if you're listening, send Matt a copy. I mean, Jay's question here doesn't mention, maybe it's me that's mentioned in the acknowledgments. I don't know. I assumed it was Matt Williamson, but I would love to know the context of that and how things have changed since that was written in 2012. But Yeah, okay. get back in touch. Okay. More mailbag, more Twitter Thursday coming up. I mentioned at the top of the show, but I've got to let you guys know about this special deal from Built Bar. This week only an extra $5 off every box of Built Bars. And with promo code locked on, you already get $10 off your first box of Built Bars at BuiltBar.com. Uh, it's an offer that's going to end May 31st. So it's this week only for that extra $5 off. Again, promo code locked on. There's new flavors, peanut butter, banana, blueberry, lemon, pineapple, upside down cake. That goes with their already 16 amazing flavors, eight chocolate nuts, eight chocolate nut-free flavors. It is low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber snack that Matt Williamson eats three or four a day, right? Is that what your uh, habit is up to, Matt? <laughs> you asked me the other day, which one am I looking forward to most? And then when you just said peanut butter banana there again, I'm like, yeah, that's definitely the one I'm looking forward to. That's the that's, one, that's, yeah. I'm looking forward to that one a lot. It, the, the, the way they're made, the peanut butter, and peanut butter and chocolate is like my favorite combination when it comes to sweet stuff anyway. And the the way these bars are made, the peanut butter chocolate is just such a good combination. But they've yeah, got 19 is. other flavors. If if you don't like that, at Built Bar. Dot com promo code locked on gets you ten dollars off five extra dollars this week only again promo code locked on at builtbar.com let's go to dave on twitter who says which afc and nfc division is the most even in terms of any team could win it afc east and nfc west jumps to mind for dave hmm, good question yeah, I think NFC West is a good one. That's that's the division yeah. I've covered the most, and I would not be shocked if the worst team in the division in the last few years, the Cardinals, won it. I wouldn't be shocked at all there. Uh, the Rams were just in, the, in a Super Bowl two years ago. Niners were in a Super Bowl last year, and the Seahawks are never going to go away with the Carroll and Russell Wilson marriage. So I could see that division going any old way. That That's going to be a fun one for sure, and they could all be really good teams this year. And let's tie this into another Twitter question we got. I just pulled it up from Tyler Weber, who says, since there's now an extra wild card spot, there'll be seven teams now, what division would you say is the best chance of having every team in the division make the playoffs? So it's kind of the same concept, you know, like who doesn't have a distant fourth? You know what I mean? Like who could, you know, could all the teams win it? And I guess the East is a good one in the AFC, but that's being a little too courteous to Miami for me. It's probably I mean, a I still... better chance that all of the AFC teams, all of the AFC East teams are evenly mediocre than they're evenly really good to make the playoffs. Right. Exactly. That makes sense. Yeah. How about the AFC West is kind of a sleeper though. Like I could see Denver being better. Yeah. Right. I think Oakland could get to eight and eight and maybe get in. Chargers could win 10 games, in my opinion. Like, I don't think that's crazy. I mean, obviously, it's far-fetched because these teams play six games against each other, so someone's going to lose those games. Some of the biggest unknowns in the NFL is what's going to happen in that second year for young players. And does Drew Locke become a dude? Does he become Mitch Trubisky? And that could go yeah. in a million different directions. Same with Kyler Murray in Arizona. So if, a quarter, if you got yourself a legit quarterback that takes that second-year jump, Absolutely, I could see Denver making a ton of noise. I could see Gruden and Mayox 
group over there in uh, and Derek Carr coming off his best year probably. I could see yeah the Las Vegas Raiders doing something in their new home. So absolutely, um, that's that's an interesting division as well there in the West. And then I, I look at the Redskins, Giants, and Panthers and think those divisions probably don't qualify. Three of the four in the South I could picture, but just not the Panthers. But I let me blow this one by you. What if Joe Burrow's really good? All four of those teams could be seven, eight, nine wins or better. They could. The they definitely could. The The one caveat I would say is even if he's really good, I mean, you look at back at the, some of the great quarterbacks. The at, A rookie season is so difficult. Uh, and with Aikman, this, Manning, you know, right. Yeah, Aikman and Manning. Manning comes to mind. What did he throw, like 20 interceptions or something as a rookie? It's it's so difficult, and with this offseason might make it insurmountable. Even if he's really good, it's just hard for me to expect that from a rookie, even though I do expect Burrow to be pretty good. And the same goes for Tua. You know, with his injury, you're looking at a, another year out, I think, before you can start to expect things or, or just start to see it at the end of year one. But as for producing those W's in year one, I mean, it's just it's tough. It's almost insurmountable for a rookie quarterback. The last division I want to bring up is the NFC North because I, Packers are going to hate me because I'm always rough on them. I know they won 13 games last year, but I'm not sure the difference from the Packers to whoever you want to put fourth is massive. Like, I think the one to four distance might be the closest of any division. Yeah, you know, I, I for some reason I didn't think of that, but that probably would jump to number one for me for divisions. Yeah, uh, just about mm-hmm. anything can Detroit <laughs> poor Detroit we talked about uh, with Mike Sando that is for tomorrow's episode but we already recorded it early uh, about Detroit's woes in their franchise g- getting together a good team again do they have the right coaching staff like the quarterback can they can they be that team that would be the one that I have a hard time saying okay I'm ready to say Detroit's going to be that team that takes a jump yeah although I will say if you look at the Lions in two different you know timelines with Stafford and without they were pretty darn good with Stafford. And without, they were basically the worst quarterback team in the league right there at the Jets and Steelers, you know, when Darnold was out. And I kind of have to throw that away a little bit. Yeah, it's... David Blau, you know. I It's so hard because you get a new coaching staff in and they're trying to create their own environment and maybe want to draft their own quarterback, but you have a really good quarterback in house. Do you, but you don't have an infinite amount of time to rebuild this thing. So you got to start winning now with what you have at some point. So this group almost has to start winning or now you start looking for a new coach and then maybe you rebuild that and then different quarterback. And then did you like the guys here? They didn't like the old running back. Now they got their own new running back. And then does another, you know, so it's just like this never ending cycle, get that coach in there and, and, and really, you need a couple of years. And that that's what worries me about a team like the Lions is if they don't start winning now, then you just start that cycle all over again. And a little teaser for tomorrow. And then before you know it, you have 50 years of misery. <laughs> yeah, before you know it, your best team was in <laughs> 1970. That That's yes. the reality, yeah, for some NFL teams. This question from Lee on Twitter, he says, have you been watching any classic games during the pandemic? Any recommendations? Uh, as a Packers fan, I rewatched the 96 Super Bowl. Surprised I forgot that Favre had two touchdowns on two bombs and a third TD rushing, yet missed out on the MVP to Desmond Howard. I that's I remember that Super Bowl quite well. Those mid-90s teams, man. Those uh, Cowboys, Packers, 49ers, NFC Championship games were 
were nuts. And, man, uh, Favre was just a thorn in the side of teams. But, yeah, I forgot about the rushing touchdown. I do remember that Desmond Howard won the MVP, but a quarterback scores three touchdowns in a Super Bowl and doesn't get MVP. That is an upset for sure. Yeah. I mean, to answer the question if I've been watching reruns of games, no. And maybe I should give it more of a try because, I mean – the Godfather comes on, I never turn it off. And that's true for <laughs> 200 movies. You know, I usually end my night. Last night, American Pie came on. I couldn't turn it off and went ro- rolled into American Pie 2. You know, I mean, like, I don't mind rewatching stuff. I've seen Star Wars 400 times, you know, whatever. So, um, but I, games, I don't see the same way. Like, if, if a game would pop on, eh, I, I don't know that I would rewatch it. I mean, and NFL Network and a lot of these networks have been playing games, you know, because nothing's live. Doesn't grab my attention. I'm kind of off watching old games, too, because leading up to the draft, I watched so many old college football Mm. games, and I'm watching so much of that that I sort of wanted to not go back and watch football games. So unfortunately for Lee, I don't have a really good answer. The the last old game I watched was, I think it was just just happened to be on, uh, NFL Network was replaying the... Broncos Chiefs game from this last season so it's not a game I would say you know it was a good game but it wasn't a game I would say hey this is the game you have to watch uh, there mm. was some really good games though I think uh, if you're trying to find old games any old Super Bowls are fun just because it reminds you of like oh yeah that guy oh that guy and you're like oh man how bad was the the, the TV technology here with this <laughs> this four by three format and the grainy uh, and the, the commercials are hilarious if you ever get a chance to see any of those but um, yeah I don't have any hard recommendations unfortunately. Yeah, I would much rather stumble into Goodfellas for the hundredth time than, you know, an old Super Bowl game or even a game I really cared about at the time. I will say, though, and I've never mentioned this before, but I used to have the four VHS tapes that I got at like a memorabilia show or whatever that were just the recordings of all four Steeler Super Bowls in the 70s where you could watch every play, every commercial, the exact broadcast. And when I was like 15 or so, you couldn't find that stuff. You couldn't go to YouTube. You couldn't find games and things like that. Like I cherish those VHS tapes. And sometimes I just put them in and watch, you know, play after play. And by the way, teaser for tomorrow's show, our guest, Mike Sando, find out where those Packers 90s teams land on his list of top 25 teams in the last 50 years. To Steve on Twitter, he says, love the show, guys. What do you think the fastest way to amend the Rooney rule is? I don't think draft position is fair. What about penalties paid to grassroots coaching courses to ensure plenty of different background coaches are available in the future? Uh, this kind of goes hand in hand with the the player pool that we talked about. Expanding the coaching pool is important. I think the number one thing with any of this and any of the hiring I see around the league is just nepotism they, they call it the the nepotism football yeah. league for a reason you s- go look at a coaching staff and see how many names that are familiar of sons of former coaches that you didn't know existed that are on coaching staffs and those guys rise up the ranks and then they become head coaches and lane kiffin lane kiffin keeps getting jobs never should have got his first job probably you know if he wasn't monty kiffin's kid uh someone like kyle shanahan who coaches the 49ers obviously a great coach deserving of, of where he's at now if his dad wasn't Mike Shanahan. Would he have ever gotten to go play football at Texas and you know and and not really play that much? And he had like seven career catches from Chris Sims at the University of Texas. Would he have even played there? Would he have even gotten an opportunity to be a 
a quality control, control coach in the NFL. He would have certainly, if he got to the point of being an NFL head coach, he wouldn't have got that chance so early. Um, that's a big one to me. So if there's so much nepotism going on already in the league and it's already so hard to get a job, there's not new jobs for people outside of that umbrella to start getting jobs. And when uh, there's fewer minority coaches to start with, then that's just going to snowball. I think that's a great point. And we mentioned Mike Sandoz on tomorrow, and I mentioned Mike Lombardi in that conversation. He's done a lot of podcasting and article writing on this subject lately. And so I'm going to defer to him and I'm going to put, you know, kind of recycle his words, hopefully and not screw them up too bad. But he had a lot of good points in that sometimes hiring a head coach is more like a popularity contest or voting for class president in high school, as opposed to picking the right person, because you got to make the media happy. You got to make yourself look good you know, the unknown coach, the, the Joe judge, you know, like, and that's a pretty gutsy move, you know, as opposed to recycling a guy or somebody that has the right last name, like you mentioned. Um, he also mentioned that he feels like, and obviously the NFL is different because you're either employed by the Redskins or the bears or whomever, you're not employed by the NFL, but if you were working for IBM or any real business, any real walk of life, those big corporations have programs to make you a better leader, make you a better management, you know, a better group leader, a better manager. Like the NFL should have some program. And again, I'm recycling Lombardi's comments here that this time of year when there's nothing going on, maybe there should be a optional coaching seminar program management where they all go and, learn from Don Shula 20 years. You know what I mean? Like have a program to develop, make people better and use the league resources to make the, these guys better leaders, better future, future coaches, you know, cultivate that. And then my theory that I tarp on all the time is if I was in charge of the world, I would make a true minor leagues for the NFL. You know, there would be, the Wheeling Steelers, there would be the Sacramento 49ers, whatever. And you could groom coaches that way. You know, I mean, you know, the, the, you would coach the, the lesser guys in your system, prove yourself, make them the offense coordinator, make them the head coach at the top level. So the system right now is pretty screwed up. It is screwed up. I think there's definitely a lack of front office and coaching programs and and getting even like for you Matt like what was it like for you jumping into your first job as a scout first of all you got the job because you rubbed elbows with the right people right and you you met some people and you knew somebody and you got this chance did did you even get coached up on it or did you show up at the office one day and they're like all right Williamson go do this uh not much (laughs) I mean and I kind of got lucky because I mean in the league I was the director of football operations at Akron and the Browns are like a half hour down the road And so I was in touch with them and they were in touch with me. Hey, are you going to organize Charlie Fry's pro day? You know? So yeah, I am, you know? Okay. So, and then they were like, well, keep an eye out too. If you know any, any people interested in scouting, we're looking for some new guys. I'm like, well, I'm not going to spread the word, but I got a guy in mind. So I went and I interviewed not knowing a soul in that building. It wasn't like I had any ins and, my last name wasn't Brown or, you know, um, <laughs> you know, Butch Davis's nephew or anything like that. And I won, you know, I beat out a bunch of people. I apparently impressed the right folks. 
And then I got there, and yes, um, I mean, I got to admit, it was, it was it was one year, and the whole thing was a whirlwind for me because my body wasn't accustomed. I've been in college the last four years, and I didn't know, oh, yeah, mini camps are coming up around the corner. And no one really even told you. Like, you just assumed the basic things like that. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Like, the, I didn't have the right body clock for the calendar at the time. But there was like a two-day period where – I went room to room with another entry level scout who had just gotten hired. There were three of us, I think, that got hired at that point. And I sat there with the D line coach for an hour or two, and he coached us up. This is what we want for a Browns defensive lineman. You know, so that was great, but nobody told me the tricks of the trade of bring donuts when you go into Auburn or, you know, like any of that, or, you know, <laughs> these are the best way to travel or this is the best way to save time or, you know, you were on your own with that kind of stuff. And then everything they taught us, those position coaches, we flushed down the toilet when Butch Davis got fired at like week 10. Always bring donuts when you go to Auburn. Everybody knows Always. that. Come on. No matter where you go. <laughs> but yeah, uh, easy answer to that question is, like, I, I don't know, uh, but they got to do a better job for sure. Right. There's no training program. There's no education. There's no, you know. Let's finish this up with Jack. And this is an interesting question. He said, I watched Peyton's places, and he was talking about the lack of left-handed quarterbacks. Des Bryant was the last left-handed passer to throw a touchdown in the NFL. Any issues you foresee <laughs> wow. with Tua draft left-handed backup eventually? That's interesting. No. I know, well, because teams bring in left-handed or left-footed punters when they're going to go play a team that has a lefty, because I've heard that's really difficult because just the ball's spinning the opposite way and you catch so many punts that are spinning a certain direction. So I think there might be a little bit of an adjustment there. I don't think it's as big a deal for a quarterback to receiver, though. Well, they bring in left-footed punters because they want to make the ball harder to catch. So it's kind of the opposite. You don't want your quarterback to throw balls that are hard to catch to your receivers. I mean, so the ball spins the opposite way. That's a Belichick thing. Bring in the left-handed punter, left-footed punter because... It's harder on the receiver, but I'm with you. I don't think, you know, maybe the first two days of practice, you're like, oh, the balls comes out a little bit different. It spins a little different, but that's why you have practice. I mean, I don't think that's a problem at all. I am a little startled and I'm curious, you know, what percentage of human beings or maybe more specifically American males are left-handed because the number of quarterbacks is way less than that number. And even over history, I mean, outside of Steve Young, I mean, coming up with great left-handed quarterbacks is like, go go Google the top 10 left-handed quarterbacks of all time. You get down to like Scott Mitchell in the top 10, you know, and like it's a bad list yeah. at the bottom. It's Stabler, it's Young, it's Boomer. Yeah, you know, I mean, then you start drying up pretty quick out of the top five. And my, I've always thought about this, but quarterbacks are usually... Six one to six five, and if you're a lefty, don't you think the people are going to push you to be a pitcher? That's the other thing, yeah, because baseball is is looking so baseball is the opposite, skewed from right. what the normal population is with lefties versus righties, and so you have an advantage, massive advantage, if you are a lefty and you can compete there. Uh, and some of them physically aren't even where the right handers are, but you can throw left hand; it's a big advantage. And they're looking for that in the NFL. They're definitely not looking for that, and they don't care. And I think a lot of guys who you're right who can throw hard and are lefties or push down this path of baseball instead of football. You'll get a scholarship at least. You know what I mean? Like mom's going to say, great, you got a you know, four-year scholarship. Go play baseball, son. Here we go. Left-handed QBs in the Hall of Fame. We've got 
Young. Wait, what is this list? Let's see. Frankie Albert, Bobby Douglas. Those are old timers. Uh, Boomer Esiason, Ken Stabler, and Jim Zorn. They're not Hall of Famers. Boomer's not a Hall of Famer. Oh, here we go. No, this is, sorry, this is Steve Young. Hold on. I just, this is the Hall of Fame website, and it says left-handed QBs and had them listed. Um, And I started reading those names. I was like, wait a second. Yeah. And some of those guys are good players. I'm not even sure if the two old dudes are in the Hall of Fame, but I know Young is. Steve Young is the first, was the first left-handed quarterback to earn an election into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, a class of 2005. Yes. And here's a look at some other notable lefties who've played quarterback in the National Football League. Okay, so that's uh, those are the most notable non-Hall of Fame quarterbacks then. Albert, Douglas, Esiason, and Zorn. Vic, you know, but I mean, oh, it Michael dries Vic, up yeah. quick. Yeah, I forgot about Vic too. So they exist, but yeah, there's not a lot right now, which is interesting. That That's a great nugget though, a trivia nugget about Des Bryant being the last lefty to throw a touchdown pass. Yeah, how cool is that? I mean, maybe it won't, won't hold up much longer, but that's, I wouldn't have got that one. Okay, Matt, good stuff. We're out of time here. Thanks again, everybody. Getting in those Twitter questions. We'll be back tomorrow with Mike Sando talking about how executives feel about certain teams' NFL drafts who had the best draft and the top 25 teams since 1970, the last 50 years. Last 50 years, yeah. yeah. Some of them might surprise you. I, I like the, the formula that Mike Sando has going. Get into all of that tomorrow right here, Locked on NFL.